Monday, everybody. Packers staring a 14-3 deficit in the face. Saying, who are we playing again? Oh, yeah, the Detroit Lions? No, 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 no. Let's get her going. Aaron Jones, a career high. 236 total yards of offense. Three tutties. A 75-yarder to open the third quarter. Packers throttle the Detroit Lions. 42-21. Move to 2-0 on the season. And they look like world beaters. Good morning. Good morning, Nelly. I like your green and gold you got on today, my friend. How, how are we doing? Man, that offense. Sick. That reminded me of the... Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers offense where it looked effortless. Effortless. And who would have thought? Who would have thought that the Packers would be looking this dominant without preseason games, without all of their practices, with COVID-19, with everything else going on, and even go back to last year when the Packers, yeah, they were 13-3 and in the NFC Championship game, but it just looked dysfunctional them getting there. Who would have thought with all that combined that the Packers would look like just juggernauts two weeks into the season? I wouldn't have guessed it. Oh, I mean, so far for the first two weeks, they've scored 85 points. <laughs> if you score in the 40s every week, I think they could go 16-0. and 0. It is. I think they could do. It is insane. Through two games, Aaron Rodgers turning back the hands of time. Aaron Rodgers is 50 for 74. With 604 yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions, that's a rating of 119.4. Who would have thought? Old man Rogers, Rowdy, turning back the hands of time. Well, just the offense as a whole is averaging over 500 yards a game. It's insane. It is insane. The offense is absolutely electric. And guess what? Devontae Adams didn't really do anything. No, he's, I mean, he was just chilling on the sidelines with a little uh, two-week hammy, apparently. Points through two weeks of this offense. Yeah, what are the odds that you would say, man, the Packers' offense looked great. The Packers' offense had over 500 yards of total offense, scored 42 points. Oh, yeah, and Devontae Adams was the fourth leading receiver. It's insane. The Packers, through two weeks, have scored 85 points total, 1,010 yards of offense, 57 first downs, 417 total rushing yards, 9 touchdowns, 14 third and fourth down conversions, only one sack allowed, turnovers, zero, and time of possession, 76 minutes and 30 seconds. Rowdy. Wow. I don't even know I don't even know how to describe this Packers team besides just great, phenomenal. What what would you are the Packers the best team in the NFL? Well, watching that that offense, the Matt LaFleur offense year one. Yeah. Not great. It seemed like it was disjointed. Di- exactly. Disjointed, kind of sloppy. It just didn't seem to really flow. Which you would expect from a first-year head coach, right? The first two games so far of year two, wow. Uh, the wow. scheming the scheming looks great. I mean, when they're running the football, whether it be Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, or even A.J. Dillon here and there, 
it seemed like there were holes that were being opened up for like eight yard gains minimum. <laughs> yeah. Like there were, there was giant holes for those guys to run through when Rogers would ju- uh, drop back to throw. It seemed like at least one or two receivers were schemed open almost every single play. And all Rogers had to do was hit the open guy. Yeah. And which Rogers can, you know, definitely do it. It is a thing of beauty watching the green Bay Packers and it's just, it, it's everyone, right? It's everyone pitching in one way or another, even with injuries on the offensive line already. And everyone is just doing their part and has seemed to have bought into this offense. And you're right, it was the scheme, the scheming of Matt LeFleur, who is now, by the way, 8-0 and in the NFC North all time, which is incredible. The scheming of Matt LeFleur has been, has been awesome. And how about how about this? The defense in the first half looked like turds, kind of. Well, that was yeah. When that those first couple possessions for Detroit, you were kind of like, yikes. Yeah. They were they were running it down the throat of of the Packers, and you knew Kenny Clark was out. We're Obviously, they Kenny jumped Clark. out to a lead. It was fourteen to three after the first quarter. Yep. And you go, oh my goodness. Yeah. What's this, happening? This could be bad. So Matt, they only finished with eighty nine yards rushing. It's nuts. Matt Lafleur. I, I mean, I was listening. Obviously, I was watching the game and listening to the commentators. And at halftime, they said, "Well, yeah, Mike Pettin is the coach of that defense, but you know, just remember, Matt Lafleur is the head coach. He oversees it all. And apparently, Matt Lafleur went in there and was very unhappy with his defense and laid into the guys. And Matt Lafleur. Has he's got the ear of that team, man? Matt Lafleur has got it going on, and they, him and Aaron Rodgers they have a very good relationship. Remember, remember uh, last year when everyone wanted to talk about how Rodgers and Lafleur were uh, probably a little icy towards each other and uh, maybe butted some heads. Well, when no one, when everyone's winning and, and at this level everything's hunky dory. Did you see Aaron Rodgers blow up a little bit at Matt Lafleur? What was that? The third quarter. When Rogers, yeah, we called the timeout. Yeah, and Rogers like freaking out. Last year, the media would have blown that out of proportion in a huge way. This year, it's like they're like, oh yeah, they're just ultra competitive guys. Well, that had to it. be the narrative last year, right? Yes. Just because Aaron Rodgers with the uh, Mike McCarthy that relationship that kind of soured. Yep. The new head coach, where is Aaron Rodgers coachable? <laughs> that I mean, that had to be the narrative. Well, that was a narrative for what probably what eight weeks? The first eight weeks of the season, maybe last even year? longer. Yeah, but. Uh, I mean, year two, year when two, you're scoring yeah. over 40 points both games. When you're killing it. I don't think you can really have that narrative. No, you can't. And now it's just like, yeah, they're just ultra competitive. I just couldn't believe that the Detroit team finished with 89 yards rushing after those first two possessions. Because it seemed I'm, like they are going to run everywhere, right? I'm going to guess they had about 80 yards rushing after the first two possessions. Yeah. The By the way, the Detroit Lions also make history. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. The Lions making history. They become the first team in NFL lore and NFL history to lose four straight games in which they had a double digit lead. Detroit has also lost 11 straight games. Now it's the most since losing 19 in a row from 2007 into 2009, including the first ever 0 16 season in league history. Matt, Patricia, give yourself a round of applause. So Aaron Rodgers, he set that uh, QBR. It was his highest QBR since 2010 in week one, yeah. where it was nearly 94. Yeah. To uh, Yesterday's game, his QBR was over 89. Rogers. So in, in two games, he's got nearly 94 and a little over 89, and 100's perfect. Rodgers, so hot right now. Just crushing it. Yeah. 50 average. Just insane, dude. It's, it's nuts. 
And then I don't know how looking around. By the way, there was a lot of good stuff over the weekend for your, our Wisconsin sports teams. You have the the uh, the schedule coming out for Wisconsin football. We'll talk about that today. You have the Brewers sweeping the Kansas City Royals in the yesterday, boys. Nelly, everyone listening, yesterday was the last game ever at a place called Miller Park. It'll now be called was it American Family Field? Yeah, that just doesn't have the same ring. Yesterday was the last game ever of Miller Park and possibly the last game ever for Ryan Braun at Miller Park. That's uh, that's crazy. Most the last game ever for Miller Park, but for Ryan before Braun, the last game we, before maybe we ever talk Park about uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. The last oh, yeah, thing that's later on in the la- show. Last thing on the Packers here. Hmm. I'm just setting the docket today, Roddy. We got four hours, man. But yeah, continue. How comfortable is Jordan Love on the bench? Very, very <laughs> because comfortable. If anyone He's thought they could potentially move on from Aaron Rodgers next season, yeah. I think that's really far-fetched after these first two games. Yeah, Jordan Love is very comfortable at the end of that. I hope he's taking a lot of notes. He's the only person looking forward to winter because he knows he's going to be nice and cozy on that bench. Yeah, I hope he's I hope he's got a notepad out and he's taking a lot of notes because Aaron Rodgers is putting on a free clinic uh, for everyone. So I hope Love is paying attention. And, yeah, speaking of history, <laughs> speaking of history, the Atlanta Falcons. Um, if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, I don't know how you can even get out of bed this morning. The Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, Jerry Jones and company in front of, a, 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 I think it was the biggest crowd we've seen so far in the NFL, right, at Jerry's World. The Cowboys trailed 20 to nothing in the first quarter against the Atlanta Falcons and then were down by 19 points at halftime. And... Kind of kept themselves in the game. I mean, obviously. And then the Cowboys, in the craziest onside kick I've ever seen, where I don't know why the Atlanta Falcons just didn't plop a body onto it. The Cowboys, in Mike McCarthy's deep debut at Jerry's World, the Cowboys come from 20 down to beat the Atlanta Falcons 40 to 39. It was probably the. <sighs> It was one of, I can't say it's the craziest because I got to say this, the Packers lost to the Seahawks in the NFC Championship game was the craziest game I've ever seen. And that was on an onside kick. The Cowboys beating the Atlanta Falcons 40-39 to was one of the craziest games I've ever seen in my entire life of any sport. And it comes courtesy of an onside kick where Mike McCarthy is involved, but on the other side of it. And Big Mike and the Cowboys uh, failed to convert two fake punts the in the first quarter, the Cowboys looked like the players looked like absolute turds. That was a, an insane game, and I saw you even tweeted about it, Rod. You said, "Wow, <laughs> wow!" I I couldn't believe it. Just I, because same. obviously they cut to that game after the Packer game. Yeah, and, and what a game to cut to. And I may or may not have had Dallas minus four. Oh no! So I was like, "Gee, come on, <laughs> Dallas! You just you basically just laid a hot steamy turd." Oh, big time! And. All of a sudden, you know, you kind of see a little bit of a comeback. Oh, they're they they're kind of in range. Maybe if they get they continue to play well and they get some stops on defense, maybe maybe something can happen. And then all of a sudden, they completed that long pass down to the uh, Atlanta thirty. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, oh my, I need a touchdown, and I got this. Yeah, I thought they were oh, gonna get a touchdown too. Of course, they settled for the field goal. Yeah, Big Mike lined it up right for the field goal and for the win. Uh, it, that was. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, also, real quick before I get to the phones, 608-321-1670. The Chicago Bears go 2-0. That, that was a 
I don't. The, the Bears look terrible. I the mean, Bears are the they worst. were playing the Giants, and the Giants' best player tore his ACL. Yeah. The Giants bad, but the Bears also look terrible. Still, still two and zero in the season. And then the Vikings, <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings, are god awful. They're they're terrible. The Vikings are absolutely terrible. So the that Bears Giants game. Yeah. So the Bears didn't look good. No. The Giants, we knew coming into this season, weren't, weren't going to be, be good. very good. Yes. Their offensive line is probably one of the worst in NFL football. Yep. Saquon Barkley, they're all all <laughs> do everything stud running back, tears his ACL oh, on his poor fourth, guy. fourth touch. Four, so many injuries. So after he left with four carries, Daniel Jones was their leading rusher. Ha! The quarterback. Danny Dimes? He had three carries. Yikes. You're going to have a bad time when that's happening. Yeah. All right. And the Bears barely beat them. They hung on. Wisconsin going to get some revenge because the 2020 season is out and the first team they play, the Fighting Illini at Camp Randall, October 24th. Revenge is a dish best served cold. What do we think, boyos? The eight-game schedule is out, and it goes Illinois at the camp. No, at Nebraska, week two. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Nebraska coming up, by the way. A bunch of whiners. Uh, week three at the camp against Purdue. Week four at Michigan. Week five at Northwestern. Uh, week six at the camp versus the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Week seven, Badgers host Indiana. And then week eight, you go to Iowa to face the Hawkeyes. Honestly, that's a tough stretch when you go Michigan at Michigan, at, at Northwestern, Northwestern, where Wisconsin's one in six. Yeah, they're not good in the last six games. And then um, versus Minnesota, that's, I mean, as weird as that says, the sounds to say, that's a tough three game. Well, Rowdy, there. Rowdy, I was in a tweet with uh, Rowdy's buddy, I think it was Stokes, and Rowdy had messaged back saying, I think, well, Nelson, it's your tweet, you say it. Yeah, he basically said, I think they can run the table with the schedule. Yeah. And I go, yeah, looking at the schedule, toughest game, it feels weird to say, but it's probably the Minnesota Gophers at home. Yeah, because you look at that Iowa game to end the year, The for the most part, it's been the, the away, away team, team that wins. has won, except yeah. Wisconsin's well, won the home game. And then if you really years. dig into Iowa's roster, I mean, they lost a lot of players. They did, yeah. Especially the quarterback, which it seems like looking around college football, if you returned your head coach, mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, offensive line, and quarterback, You've been pretty good to start. Well, I will lose. And, and if you didn't have any unrest in the football program over the offseason. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Iowa lost their quarterback. Yep. Iowa lost a lot of pieces on the offensive line. Yes, they have. That's not a great recipe no. with uh, minimum practices. Exactly. Oh, my God. I well, just saw, real quick, sorry. I just, I just had to bring this out there. The DA show, who is on CBS Sports Radio. Yeah. He just put a poll question out. Is Mike McCarthy a top 10 fattest coach of all time? Wow. That's, well, he wouldn't be skinny. No. That's, that's not, that's that's not quite, show fodder, I thought. That's quite the tweet right there. Anyways, um, back to Wisconsin. But, you know, I think the Big Ten, and you say what you will about it, I think they really did set this up to oh. try to have two undefeated teams yeah. uh, from either division. Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, so we're going to talk. You put about your some best bet scheduling here. to get somebody into the college football playoff with this shortened season. I think Wisconsin is. I mean, it's uh, very doable to go undefeated. And you know, you know what? Uh, you can't say anything about your own division. So I mean, you have Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue, uh, Northwestern, Minnesota, and Iowa. That's your division. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're playing your full-on division. It's like even though it's one of those years of 2020 where it's like. 
hey, just throw away the divisions, go with the best two teams. Eh, not really going to happen. Um, well, even if they did try to, obviously, p- I guess, pander to a team to come out of the West to mm-hmm. face the Ohio State, you really only had, in my opinion, two clear-cut choices that you'd have to quote-unquote pander a schedule to, and it's either Wisconsin or Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Because... I'm sorry. Those are the only two ranked teams in the division. Exactly. Illinois. No. No. Nebraska, still not there yet. Northwestern, no. Purdue, no. no. Iowa Iowa, lost too many guys. No. No. It's Minnesota or Wisconsin. Right. Um, And And Wisconsin's the take. I mean, what's Minnesota's schedule look like? Go go pull it up. We'll go to the phones really quick. Maryland and... He's got Johnny on the spot. Maryland and Michigan. So... They're, that's they're their not, big, that's yeah, their, Michigan's their biggest on the other side, too. Wow. So, really, it's pretty much set up to have Minnesota or Wisconsin pretty much go undefeated. And this is a very doable schedule to be undefeated. Yeah. Um, I would say, the, to Rowdy's point, the Minnesota game on November 28th will be tough. And I think going to Michigan is, I mean, what's harder, at Michigan or hosting uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers? I think it's the Gophers just because Michigan. McCaffrey just transferred, right? Yeah. They, he put himself in the transfer portal. Yeah, they have a quarterback situation going on there. Um, and that's kind of been yeah. the, the thing with Michigan the whole time Harbaugh's been there. They, Who's your quarterback? Right. And, I mean, the two guys are pretty unproven. Uh, yeah. I mean, you get them a month in, so hopefully you'd, you'd like to hope they don't have things worked out by then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and you're going to the big house where there's no fans. Well, no I mean, fans. the big house. It's, it's the quietest 100,000 people you'll ever be well, in front even of in your they, life, unless Michigan is winning. Even if they do have some fans in there, it's so big and so wide. Oh yeah, that you're not gonna. It's not gonna be like there's no one there anyway. The sound it, it goes out rather than up, yeah, so, so sound wide. escapes anyway. Yeah, it's so wide. It gets loud because it's 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Now, if honestly, if they're losing by three. It's quiet. You <laughs> you can hear yourself on the sideline talk to somebody that's on the field. Um, so yeah, it it's not going to be any different, I mm-hmm. guess. I mean, you'll have the band there probably, uh, and that that'll be about it. Um, Are they going to do a halftime performance? You think? Who knows? Like. I don't understand well, they all why have to be you six need feet the 15-minute halftimes for these games. Well, they all have to be six feet apart in the, in the drum line and the, Probab- the instruments. Probably. <laughs> they should do like a giant, like, uh, they should form like a giant germ. It looks like a giant, like, COVID germ. And then they have the other side should have a person. And the germ goes into the person. <laughs> Just walking towards it. And then, no. at the, and then at the end, they finish this, uh, it's, um, it's a grave. It's a headstone, tomb- a tombstone. A little morbid. You think uh, Nebraska Whatever. football's got a guilty conscience? Anybody? When the season first shuts down, they're the first ones out there screaming from the high heavens that they want to play football? No. And then all of a sudden, we're going to play some football? And what does Nebraska start doing? They start bitching and moaning nonstop about their schedule. To have a conscience, you need self-awareness. <laughs> That's a good point, RJ. So Nebraska's schedule comes out, and it is a juggernaut. I mean, it is. Well, it's, it's a it's a it's a daunting schedule, and, that's for sure. And here's the thing: like I said before break, you can't complain about your division. Yeah, ex- well, exactly. So really, they're complaining about two games. So Nebraska, who 
obviously, I mean, I can't speak for all of us, but I know where we all stood. We all wanted to see Big Ten football play. I know I really wanted to. I know Rowdy really wanted to. I know mm-hmm. RJ, you really wanted to. And we wanted common sense to prevail and let them play some Big Ten football. And Nebraska was one, uh, the most vocal team, I would say, besides Iowa. Nebraska, a little more vocal, saying that they would even leave the conference yes. to go play elsewhere. So Nebraska's out there saying, we want to play football, we'll leave the conference, and then eventually they reined them back in and said, and they apologized and said, we're, we're committed to the Big Ten, yada, yada, yada. So then the schedules get unveiled on Saturday. And Nebraska, who is screaming from the high heavens that they want to play, get their schedule, and then say, well, well, we didn't want to play them. They get Ohio State. They're at Ohio State. Then they host Wisconsin. Then they take on Northwestern, Penn State, Illinois, Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota. I mean, right away, that's a pretty – Ohio State, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Penn State. That's, that's a hell of a way to start the you, season. You could start 1-3 or 0-4. Mm-hmm. And I, saw, I quoted this, this uh, tweet from this reporter – from the Nebraska area, what a this guy, nice, what a whiner. He like says I said, they need self awareness. This whiner, Stephen Sipple, let's change it to nipple. Stephen Nipple, he says, "quote Clearly, the Big Ten intentionally threw down the hammer on Nebraska. That's not the local columnist in me whining. It's a question of fairness. Ohio State and Penn State. There's no balance in that equation." That said, Nebraska needs to regard it as an opportunity, and Frost won't back down. Well, no crap. If you want to be the, if you want to be the big boys, you gotta beat the big boys. You remember when, in a three to four game span, the Badgers played? Let's see, what was it? Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio, Michigan, and Ohio State. Yeah, and and I can't remember if there was a division game within there, but they played those three. Yep. And how how much complaining did we hear? I remember us having a topic on and saying I that I like the target on the back. I exactly. like the fact that Wisconsin, like if we want our program to be that tier one team, because right now Wisconsin you're, straddles that tier one, you, tier two. You're talking about 2016 where they played a stretch of games starting September 24th at Michigan State, at Michigan versus Ohio State, at Iowa. Yep. Home against Nebraska at Northwestern. Yep. That's yeah. the stretch. <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's tough a, six game. But I remember stretch. us saying, I like the target on the back. Because if you want to be that tier one team, you want to be the team that goes and beats the crap out of other good teams. And that was to start the conference season, right? Yeah, Michigan yeah. State was yeah. to start a conference. Now, they finished four and two in that stretch with losses to Michigan and Ohio State by seven and six, respectively. Yep. Right. I mean, if if you have a problem with the Big Ten scheduling you like this, you probably shouldn't have said we're ready to leave the conference. That's the thing that pisses me off the most is like they were crying from the mountaintops about how they wanted to play football and they'd leave the conference yep. if they didn't. And then they get the schedule like, well, actually, we just didn't want to play them. Well, my thing was I actually I was fine with Nebraska threatening to leave because I thought it would it might help get the Big Ten season back, <laughs> especially when Ohio State started complaining too and you're starting to see more teams, more coaches, more players kind of push back on the the canceled season. So I was fine with it, but this is a terrible look when you have people now speaking out for the Nebraska program saying, well, we didn't want to play these guys. Yeah, Yeah. that's terrible. What? Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't everyone in the East have to play Ohio State and Penn State? Yes. Huh, funny how that works. Crazy. 
Yeah, great. I don't hear anyone else complaining about yeah, it. I don't. I didn't hear Penn State complaining about their schedule. Yeah. So why is it unfair to Nebraska? <laughs> do, so do you guys think with the whining and listen? I wanted Big Ten football to play. I kind of like the fact that Nebraska was out there saying like, "Hey, let's go, let's play." Like, I someone needed to put some some feet to the fire cool. here. But Even they in, they crossed that line when they said we're prepared to leave the conference. So when they said that, sca- do you guys think that the Big Ten schedulers said, "Okay, Nebraska, guess what." Screw you. Here's the schedule. Yes. Absolutely. You think that they're yeah. coming at him? So do I. And quite frankly, if you're dumb enough to think that didn't play a part, <laughs> it, sorry. Um, if you're if you're Nebraska and saying, no, we we wanted to get football back. No. Why are you hurting us? <laughs> Ohio State did the same thing. Ohio State did not threaten to leave the conference. No. You've been in the conference for when did they get in? 2012? Yeah, so, so, yeah. Not even a decade, and you're threatening to leave. Then MG3 after you complained, them. After you complained about Texas in in the Big 8 slash Big 12, um, you know? 2011. Okay. Still, not a decade. Um, <laughs> Still. <laughs> but after you left a conference because one team was making all the money and you were running amok in the mediocre Big 12 North and appearing in championship games every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you left. We're not happy when... Right. You now are coming off as not the Nebraska Tom Osborne uh, coached to national championships and near championships and just dominated college football. You're not even the team that Frank Zolich had winning nine to ten games a year, but yet you fired him because it wasn't good enough. I mean, and Bo Pelini. Right, and yep. Bo Pelini. Yep, and his cat. But, I I mean, after you fired Zolich, or Zort, yeah, Zolich, right? Frank Zolich? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you became a joke. <laughs> you did. A- after you fired a guy who was a Nebraska guy, like, and doing good, like still winning the Big 12 North. And still going to the Big 12 championship game and getting 9 to 10 wins a year. And you said, no, you're nah, not good enough. Nah, nah. And so you brought in an NFL guy, which, I mean, Bill Callahan, I know the guy from when he was here at Wisconsin. He did good things in the NFL. He did good things at Wisconsin. Didn't work out for him at Nebraska because he kind of abandoned the whole culture and decided to start recruiting nationally. Oopsies. Um, yeah, so it didn't work out for him there. Uh, then you brought in Bo Pelini. He was winning nine to ten games a year with guys like Taylor Martinez at quarterback that yeah, couldn't yeah. even throw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and bringing his cat to practice. And the defense was still pretty good unless they played Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, so you <laughs> got, they played Wisconsin. <laughs> so you got rid of him, and then you brought in Mike Riley, who, you know what? He yeah, he's good for Nothing. Oregon State, but <laughs> he, he he's not. He wasn't the Nothing. fit for Nebraska. So. Right now, you need to repair your image, and complaining about your schedule is not that. Especially after complaining about how you're not playing. Right. And then once they give you the schedule to play, you're complaining about it. Wasn't uh, Riley's latest stop the XFL? Uh, or was it the AAF? One of, I think it was the one AAF. of the two. Yeah, I think it was the AAF. It was AAF. one of the two. But that's, on, that, that's, that's Starburn too bright. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to repair your image, just shut up. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Are, is Nebraska well, I just football the biggest whiners in the Big Ten? I just don't get how you can yeah. have – who was that that was quoted as saying, well, they can't even give us a break? Oh, it was a bunch of people. Bill Moose, yeah. the AD. 
That when your AD is asking for a break, why? Yeah. What does that even mean? What happened to the the prestigious Nebraska program? What happened to them? They've fallen so far to be just you. a bunch they, of little they baby whiners. I, I already told you. It happened, <laughs> happened in the early 2000s. Like, are, are they now, I mean, outside, just in college football alone, just not Big Ten, just college football, is Nebraska the biggest whiner program out there? I'm Off the top of my head, I'm finding a, a team, I'm hard-pressed to find a team that has done more whining without doing absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last 30 years. Stop whining. Maybe the U, Miami. Yeah. You don't hear them whining, though. People could say that. Enough the- people are like, we got to get back to the U. They're not saying, why, we got to play Clemson? <laughs> they're they're not say- All they're whining about is how bad their team is. Maybe Texas? <laughs> they're back, though. Texas is always back, RJ. Texas is always back. Texas is always back every year. <laughs> Maybe Texas? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, we'll come right back. <laughs> I mean, some people would say that Badger fans are whiners. I wouldn't. Neither would I. When you look at Nebraska, who complain about not playing football, then they give them the schedule, and they whine about playing the schedule, you're like, yes, you're the biggest whiners. We'll come back with News of the Weird next. Huh? USC? Uh, Maybe with their certain fractions. I'm just thinking of teams that used to be really good that are now not for a while. Tennessee. They got they got a coach fired before he even started. Didn't they just <laughs> win a bunch of national titles with uh, Coach Duggs? Nah, that is true. On NCAA football 14 <laughs> yeah, with Big now, Cat? Now they got uh, Shiano fired, and now he's at Rutgers. Yeah. Yesterday, Aaron Jones was a man possessed, right? Um, Aaron Jones had well, a career high. I mean, he was your starting running back that led the team in rushing yep. and receiving. Career high, 236 total yards and three touchdowns. I mean, 168 yards on the ground, highlighted by a 75-yard touchdown run to open up that third quarter. Uh, yesterday, Aaron Jones became the second Packers player in the Super Bowl era since 1966 with at least 200 scrimmage yards and three tutties in a regular season game. The Packers are the fourth team in the last 40 seasons with at least 40 points in each of their first two games. That's incredible. Aaron Jones, when he goes to the sidelines and puts on those sunglasses, which are freaking awesome, he looks like the Mach. Macho man Randy Savage. Real recognizes real. Okay, your middle name is Macho. But uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever Has Macho Man ever cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life and that there are no guarantees. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I understand this. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again. And you're a macho maniac. Dig it. That's right. That's Darren Jones, man. He is like, hey, Mike McCarthy never used me. Well, guess what? Matt LaFleur is going to give me the ball and I'm going to ball the F out. Aaron Jones, dude, pay... Pay that man his money right now. You know what those sunglasses reminded me of when I first saw him the first time? The first thing that instantly jumped into my mind? Remember, man, it's probably last spring when you were on like a little riffraff kick 
Oh, riffraff! <laughs> yeah, like it reminds some me of riffraff. Sunglasses that he should be wearing in the music videos that you were watching, <laughs> like riffraff. It immediately reminded me of Randy Savage. I thought, dude, Aaron Jones is the Packers' macho man. He is an absolute legend. Nothing means nothing. Man. Nothing means nothing. What do you Ooh, mean by that? More. I'm talking about all the way to the top. Yeah, unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream will rise to the top. The cream oh, yeah. rises to the top. Macho yesterday, madness, he has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks that I got. Yeah, and I'm gonna tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the Macho Man Randy Savage in WrestleMania three. Yeah, let yeah. me see it. Yeah, let me see it. Let me say it. Let me point to the president of the World Wrestling Federation. I could go on and on of Macho Man quotes, but Aaron Jones is the Packers' Macho Man, dude. He, Rowdy, would you be all for the Packers paying that man his money? Did you see on his glasses? It said, I think it said, "Show me the money" or "Pay me money," whatever it was. Would you be all excited if the Packers inked this dude up? Aaron Jones, last year and now into this year, has just been lights out. He's been incredible. He has, hasn't he? But then you also have to talk about the price that it's going to have to it's take. He, his price only it, keeps going up. And then you got to look around at the rest of your roster because mm-hmm. Jamal Williams has been in the small sample size that you've got pretty good. A.J. Dillon, yeah, just a rookie in minimal, uh, minimal sample size too, but has looked decent. Would it be worth inking up Aaron Jones long-term at that big of a contract when you have a overall a pretty deep running back room. Yeah. And you know, Jamal Williams is at the end of his contract too. He's yep. in a contract year. Yep. He'd be a lot cheaper. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I don't know. I mean, he I... would be a lot cheaper, but Aaron Jones has been a lot more dominant, but Jamal Williams doesn't get the carries, the work that Aaron Jones obviously does, but it, it's my kind God. of the, it's kind of the performance for the money. Do when, you want to pay for that? When Jamal Williams gets his opportunity, he makes the most of it. But when Aaron Jones is out there, that is the little engine that could, that guy is the truth. Aaron Jones, 18 carries, 168 yards, two tutties. And also at that 75-yarder, that was uh, his longest of the day, which opened up the third. Aaron Jones, also four receptions on eight targets, 68 yards, and a tutty. Aaron Jones is phenomenal. He is a baller. And the longer you wait, and the more games he has like this, the more that price tag keeps going up. Aaron Jones, pay that man his money right now. Do you think uh, Gutekunst is going down to Lafleur's office today and say, you know, nice, nice big win. Obviously, we we appreciate that, but can you uh, can you kind of get Jamal and uh, AJ in the game a little bit yeah, more? Because yeah. it's going to cost us at yeah, the end of this year. It's like, hey, Lafleur, you're bleeding us dry right now, brother. Come on, man, we got some we got some people to sign at the end of the season here. What are you doing? <laughs> When you were up in the late third quarter, did you really have to give it to Aaron? <laughs> Could you not have gave Jamal a few more carries? LaFleur's probably like, yeah, he's on my fantasy football team. I had to give him that carry. Well, I mean, I, I have comments. We're going to hear comments from Aaron Jones, from Aaron Rodgers, from Matt LaFleur coming up here. Uh, they obviously met with the media yesterday, and Aaron Rodgers was nothing but very complimentary, obviously, of the run game and Aaron Jones and also of Jamal Williams. How about at the end, though? Could, if I were to tell you, Rowdy, going into the season, that you would see Tim Boyle not once but twice, what would you have? What would you have said? Like, okay, was Aaron Rodgers hurt, or are they just juggernauts? Uh, AJ Dillon, a little flavor too. Yeah, what, what were you gonna say? No, it's just if you look at what the Packers did rushing the football. I mean, they had 35 carries, 259 yards. It's an average of 7.4 
a carry. It's insane. And that that includes Tim Boyle's two knee downs. Yeah. Like two kneels. That's insane, dude. It is it's been a thing of beauty watching the Green Bay Packers through two weeks, eighty five points total, one thousand and ten yards, total yards, fifty seven first downs, four hundred and seventeen rushing yards, nine touchdowns, fourteen third and fourth down conversions, only one sack allowed, zero turnovers. And this is insane. Time of possession, 76 minutes, 30 seconds. Wow. With all those numbers, what do you think is the most surprising? Because there's a lot of surprising numbers The there. points. I think it's the points. What do you think? Also, I think the one sack, especially with all yeah, the injuries. Yeah, with all the injuries, all the the injuries line, no doubt. Going into the season, you already had question marks at right tackle, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you had Wagner was banged up. You had Billy Turner was banged up. Lane Taylor goes out with a season-ending injury week yep. one. Corey Lindsay you're already, leaves. Yeah, you're already playing with uh, Runyon week one, having tons of snaps as a rookie. <laughs> Lindsley sprains his snapping thumb. Yep. I mean, the injuries just, just kept coming in the last two weeks, yet just one, one sack. The points are crazy, too. Um, our sports director, Zach Halpern, we're going to get him on at 9 o'clock here. Um, I know he kind of did this at a dig at me, but it, I don't even care. I mean, go, Pat, go. He wrote this out. Packers scoring 40-plus points. In Mike McCarthy's last 63 games as a coach, the Packers scored zero amount of time, zero times 40-plus points in Big Mike's last 63 games. Zero times did they score 40-plus. In you know, Matt LaFleur's last, in Matt LaFleur's first 18 games as a coach, they scored 40-plus th- three times. And you know what he was doing while he was writing that up? Thinking Smiling ear-to-ear ear thinking of you. Yeah, totally. And I bet you when he was writing it up, he was thinking that the Cowboys were going to lose. Well, guess what happened? Big Mike single-handedly wills the Cowboys to a win 40-39 to over the Falcons. He 100% put that in there, <laughs> laughing, you know he thinking did it on of me. you. I, you know he did. I'm going to get him on at 9 o'clock and be like, yo, I know you did that to try to, to try to poke me a little bit, but here's the thing. I'm a Packer fan first. Big Mike fan second. Also, like you said, he put the there's some context there. A lot of those games that he was referring to with Big Big Mike and uh, Aaron, that relationship was souring. Oh yeah, and, I'd like and to Ted see Ted Thompson was piddling around not knowing where he was. Yeah, I'd like to see the uh, McCarthy the first, first Rogers the first five years. Oh, it's just juggernauts, of course. So it was absolutely incredible from the Green Bay Packers yesterday, and I put a Twitter poll out there at Zone Madison. And you could call it in too, 608-321-1670. What's been the biggest surprise for the Green Bay Packers on, their, on the offensive side of the ball? I put up four options. If you have your own, you can feel free to opine away at the phone number I just listed, 608-321-1670. Was it Rodgers turning back the hands of time? Is it the run game? Just talking about Aaron Jones. Is it Matt LaFleur's play calling? We're just talking about that too. Or is it the other wide receiver stepping up? Right now, leading the Twitter poll, 36.9% goes to the other wide receivers stepping up. Second will be Rodgers turning back the hands of time. Third, LaFleur's play calling. And last is the run game. Dude, I just gave the stat. Yesterday, Aaron Jones became the second Packers player in the Super Bowl era with at least 200 scrimmage yards and three touchdowns in a regular season game. That's since 1966. Where do you think I voted in this poll? LaFleur's play calling? I did. Ha ha! I do it! I did. Because last year, I mean, if you look at Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers last year, it was disjointed. It was, I felt like they were, and I think a lot of people felt this way, that they were lucky to win those games. 
because it just that you're you're hanging on by your you know the skin of your teeth. Oh, and then before that, if you look at Matt Lafleur's history as a, a Titan as a head coach. Well, obviously it was non-existent. So he's a first-year head coach last year, so yeah. there was a lot of uh, question marks. Then you look at him as an offensive coordinator, since he's obviously the head coach slash OC. He hasn't had a ton of success, especially in Tennessee or uh, his college stop yeah. as an offensive coordinator. So it was kind of uh, head-scratching when they hired him, right? It wasn't a ton yep. of success. There there was a lot of offenses that were were at a particular number. Then he came in and was the OC, and that number got worse. And then when he moved on to the next job, the number got better again. So it never really pointed at Matt LaFleur. I was very, very hesitant to say I'm I'm well, buying yeah. into Matt LaFleur. Yeah. Obviously, we're still only two games into a COVID-riddled weird season. But wow. So I, I'm not going to... To completely praise the guy and maybe call him Wonder Boy or something like that. Or let Bill Belichick's changing his name to Bill LaFleur. Yeah, but I'm going to say these first two weeks have been extremely impressive. Very impressive. Matt LaFleur now is 8-0 and in the NFC North. <laughs> That's insane. Matt LaFleur has been killing it. And they, the leading the vote right now is the wide receivers, other wide receivers stepping up because Devontae Man, Adams left the wild. game with a bad hammy. That's wild to me that that's the one that's leading. Same. Just because Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones was been, the leading and, receiver Aaron Jones this week. Been a man and, possessed. And now, granted, Devontae Adams got injured and he balled out week one. We knew that a healthy Devontae Adams, that's what he's going to do, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, Valdez Scantling has he's had some up. big plays, but he's also had some big drops. He's having some big drops, but he and, also is having big plays. And Lazard has just been steady. Yep. Nothing nothing special, nothing. He's just been steady. But other than that, whose name have you called? Exactly. That's why I. it's wild that that one's leading in my mind. And the tight end, yikes. I mean, yeah, Big Bob Tomlin, he got a touchdown, but, I mean, Mercedes Lewis got one catch. Mercedes Lewis throws some mean blocks, but... Mercedes Lewis, one catch. Jay Sternberger, what? Yikes. What has happened? I know we didn't see much from him last year, but everyone's like, and me included, he would have been the best tight end on the board if he was in this year's draft class. Jay Sternberger has, uh, can he catch the ball? Does he got cement blocks for hands? Well, that was his thing. Coming out of A&M, he was a pass-catching tight end. Uh-huh, and he now, ain't catching no passes. <laughs> now he was injured. Year one, a lot of people had him pegged for, you know, he's could be a guy with a breakout season this year. He's done absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's done anything but drop the football. Well, keep in mind, how about this? Aaron Rodgers had more catches yesterday than Jay Sternberger. Aaron Rodgers, did you see that? Yeah, and he had less targets. Yeah. He technically didn't have any targets. Aaron Rodgers had more catches than Jay Sternberger. Jay Sternberger, Sternberger's job is to catch the ball. Aaron Rodgers is to throw the ball. Think about that one for a second. Also, Aaron Rodgers had as many catches as Mercedes Lewis and Tyler Irvin. <laughs> Let that sink in for a, for a minute. Well, the other thing with the the Packers tight ends is that I think we know what they're going to do, and that's basically block. And yeah. then when they need you, catch the football. Yeah. Just because Big I Bob think got one. I don't think it's a secret anymore that the playmakers on the Packers teams or on the Packers team is obviously Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. Aaron Jones. And then you have talented running backs and receivers that are what seem like to be somewhat steady. So those are the guys going to get the football. I think the tight ends are literally just a go block your guy. Yeah. And when your number's called for a pass here and here, here and there, 
please catch it. Yeah, especially if you're in the end zone like Big Bob Tanyan. All right, I'll get comments from Matt LaFleur. I think Sternberger's learned too much from Jimmy Graham in his first year. Yeah, no, <laughs> right? This is nice to have Jimmy Graham off that team. Now we just got like a mini one in Jay Sternberger. Yeah, but you're paying him way less. Yeah. Let's not forget about your Milwaukee Brewers. Sweeping the Kansas City Royals. How about the unit himself? I'm not talking the big unit, Bill Michaels. No, 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 no. I'm talking the real unit, Rowdy. The powder keg himself. He goes by the name of Daniel Vogelbach, who literally looks like a keg of beer. He looks like a barrel. Ever since he kind of just crashed onto the scene for the Milwaukee Brewers after they DFA'd Justin Smoke and they they picked him up since he's been DFA'd earlier this year. I think twice, too. Um, A lot of people comparing him to the Brewers' old logo, the Barrel Man. He is the Barrel. Roll out the Barrel. I don't know if there is a better person to be on the Brewers that looks more like a Barrel Man than what he could. Roll out the Barrel, a.k.a. Daniel Vogelbach. The dude... Two dingers yesterday accounted for all five runs as the Brewers sweep the Royals, finishing the sweep with a 5-3 victory. Rowdy, how many games are left in this shortened 60 season? Brewers have eight games left. and Eight. It's three against the Cincinnati Reds starting today, and then five against the St. Louis Cardinals. And what do those two teams have in common? They're right in the thick of things with the Milwaukee Brewers for not only the second spot in the NL Central, but also the wild card spots. The Reds are still technically in the last spot of the wild card for the NL. The Brewers are right there, just one game back. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. It is pretty crazy that the season's coming to an end and the Brewers control their destiny. Cubs obviously leading the way, excuse me, of the NL Central 31 and 22. Cardinals right now in second place with a winning percentage of 520, 26-24 record. The Brewers will be playing them uh, after this Red Series. Brewers, 500, 26-26, obviously 500. And the Reds also 500, 27-27, the Pirates we don't care about. The Brewers, Rowdy, the last series ever in the name Miller Park. It'll be AmFam Field next year. But Miller Park is now... The Brewers finished on a high note. That's all you could really want to see, right? Ryan Braun's last hit at Miller Park was an infield single. I think that was <laughs> very interesting for Bronny. But Bronny uh, got getting a little emotional after the game. What do you think now that we no longer will be referring to Miller Park as Miller Park? It's now going to be AmFam Field coming up. I totally feel like I'm going to be one of the old timers that still refers to Miller Park as County Stadium. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm still going to be calling it. Ah, you're going to Miller. We're going to Miller Park for a bus trip. Yeah. Even though it'll be American Family Field, one that'll hurt for our website because American Family Field is so long to put it on the front page of our website. (laughs) (laughs) Miller Park bus trip was a lot easier to fit on. Very, very easy. But if you if we go back and talk about Daniel. Vogelbach. The barrel? So... Hey, hang on. When we talk about Vogelbach, we got to do this. Okay. Got to roll out the barrel. <laughs> so he's kind of like having a Brock Holt type season where he was with the Seattle Mariners who he had been with the four seasons prior. He was batting Ebo with the Mariners this year. Just... He was having some Yelich numbers early. Yep. And that's not good this year. (laughs) Then he gets picked up 
after being defeated by the Mariners by the Toronto Blue Jays and plays in two games and goes 0 for 4. Is DFA'd again, and then the Brewers pick him up, and what has he done in 11 games? Hit 417 for the Milwaukee Brewers. Incredible. Literally, they're rolling out the barrel. Two home runs, four RBIs, and then obviously last night he had he accounted for all five runs. Yep. What a beast. <laughs> if you haven't seen Daniel Vogelbach, and you're like, why are you playing roll out the barrel? Why are you saying... He looks like the Brewers' barrel man logo. He is a unit. This guy is a, he's six foot tall. They list him at 250. I bet he's bigger than that. The dude, and he's 27. The dude, I'm not kidding, is a barrel. He's a unit. I don't know how much staying power this guy's actually going to have in Milwaukee. I'll enjoy it while it lasts, though. <laughs> but as long as he's hot, have at it, right? He's a big left-handed power bat that'll hit better in Miller Park just based on the dimensions of the field. Yep. The hitter-friendly ballpark. <laughs> I don't know how long this will last since Vogelbach's basically been about a 210 career hitter his whole life. We'll take it though. But we'll take it when the Brewers need it because they are right there on the outside looking into the playoff spot. I thought how it was, we've gotten here, I have no idea. I have no idea. And how the season's almost over. I have and, no idea. And like, how, time flies. How the people that that may have the season over were thinking about ripping up their tickets just two weeks ago. <laughs> how that's in reach too. <laughs> yep. Oh wow. my God. Uh, let's see. Cinderella man on Twitch says Vogelbach looks like he belongs on the field of an elite slow pitch team and just hits bombs. This dude <laughs> Vogelbach looks like the guy from your softball, local softball, slow pitch team that they're the best in the league. And he's the guy that pulls up in his pickup truck and brings the keg. He's like carrying the keg. Are you guys ready to play? And he sets it down, gets loaded, and just hits dingers. And then he also plays either catcher or first base, so yeah. he really, really doesn't play defense. And he's just chirping the whole time. Just chirping. I thought it was brilliant that it's the last time we'll see the Brewers play at Miller Park while it's called Miller Park. And a guy in Vogelbach, who looks literally like the Brewers' barrel man, is hitting dingers. What a send-off for Miller Park. I thought, that was, I thought it was just beautiful it would only poetic it would only be better if there were fans in the stands exactly and that's why speaking of ryan braun i think they will bring ryan braun back not on that 15 million dollar option but i think they'll sign him to a a cheap deal just because ryan braun being the guy that's been there forever being the face of the milwaukee brewers franchise basically since about 2007 i think they bring him back let him have his little you know hurrah end his career with one season with fans in the stands next year. Well, did you see the hitting coach for the Brewers said it was like, it, it was a disservice and it shouldn't be allowed to happen of Ryan Braun having his final, possibly his final game at Miller Park with no fans in the stands. Like just, it was just disgusting that no one was allowed to see Ryan Braun's possible last game as a Brewer. In Miller I Park. think they will bring him back for cheap. I, I can't imagine him signing a contract for more than $5 million. Yeah. Ryan Braun was getting very emotional. Poor Brawny after the game. Uh, just about his time. And rightfully so. In fact, I'm going to try to get some comments from Braun. Let's see if I can pull this up here. All right, so here is uh, Brawny when it comes to, you know, Miller Park. Um, oop, I got to play the tune. It was uh, definitely a little bit more emotional um, than, a, than a typical game would be, certainly. Um, try to take it all in and, and uh, just some of the sentimental um, feelings definitely crept in throughout the course of the game. It would have obviously been a completely different experience had the fans been here. 
Um, but I, I definitely, uh, you know, was a little more emotional today than I usually would be for a regular season game. It's a little fired up after that infield hit there in the, uh, was it the seventh, I think. It's a good way to end it, man. I got a lot of line outs, so a lot of times when you get a, a lucky hit like that, I feel like it's evening out and it feels great. So, um, you know, it's a good good uh, way for me to end it here. Brian, when you, when you say things like that, and even just the fact you're open to talking about this possibility, it feels like this really might be it. I mean, you said you're not leaning one way or the other, but it sounds like maybe you are leaning toward this, this is it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I really want to take the time to get away from it and reflect on the season. And, and like I alluded to last time we spoke, um, see what, what the sport itself looks like, see what the world looks like. Uh, this year has been uh, such a, a unique and, and challenging year in so many ways that, um, you know, I just want to take my time making that decision. And um, but, yeah, I mean, it's like being a being a parent and being a husband and, and, and my family are my top priorities in life. Uh, and at some point, as the kids get older, I, I just don't enjoy being away from them at all and one of the biggest challenges of this game is that you know we're on the road a lot and we miss out on a lot of things so um you know that's that's the biggest reason uh that i would consider being done and one sure. more for Bron. one more questions please brian what were some of those sentimental moments as you were going through the game um, a lot of them, really. Uh, just just thinking about a number of moments, thinking about the celebrations, uh, thinking about some of the, the you know big home runs, and um, just saying hello to everybody, and and just having a chance to to thank people because I don't know what the future holds. So, um, you know, I think that there's a, a a really good quote. They said the days go slow, but the years go fast. Uh, and you kind of look back on it, and there's times in the middle of a season where seasons feel long, but I look back, and, and it feels like the 14 years have gone by in the blink of an eye. So, um, you know, again, I think the moments I always uh, reflect on and, and uh, appreciate the most are all the celebrations with your teammates. There's nothing better. Uh, so certainly I've been fortunate to be a, a part of a number of uh, those celebrations. You hear him getting philosophical there, Rowdy? You hear that? There's Socrates, there's Plato, and now there's Braun. Listen to that philosophical quote right there from Brownie. Kind of, kind of, kind of tears me up. So, a little bit. so I didn't hear kinda any of tears those, me up a little bit. Those comments from Braun after the game. Yeah, but listening to that, he sounds like a guy that I don't think he's coming back. Me before hearing that, I would have thought that you know he would have wanted to have the send off with the fans, do it for cheap, do it for one more year. But after hearing that, I I don't know if it sounds like he wants to come back. I, I almost sounds like he's done. Well, remember when you know when they first. When spring training 2.0 happened, or sp- spring training first happened, and then they shut down, and then Brawny and everyone went back home to their respective states and wherever they live, and Brawny went out to Cali, and then there was that interview we had with Braun uh, when spring training 2.0 was about to start up, and Brawny's like talking from his palatial mansion out there by the water, and he's talking about how he, he kind of just wants to stay home with his kids and be a dad. And we thought to ourselves, man, is Braun going to opt out of the season? Didn't we get that vibe a little bit? Then Brawny came or over. Or when he, when he had that phantom injury, when yeah. you go, oh, this could be his excuse to get out of the season. Yeah. Uh, now, now kind of like what he was saying, you know, he doesn't know, but it sounded like he was done. I'm going to say he... Sounds like it. I'm going to say he ends up playing if... Fans are allowed in the stands, but if they have another season like this one where yeah. it's weird or convoluted with no fans, I think he calls it quits because I think he does want to be in front of the fans in Miller Park, totally. who are some of the most, if not the most passionate crowd or fans in the Major League Baseball. And, and people say that, especially when they, they come to Milwaukee, whether it be guys like CeCe Sabathia who are here for just three months yep. 
or even if it was journeyman guys like Seth McClung who said they love their years well, look in at, Milwaukee. Look at Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman was put in like the Brewers walk of fame and he was here for, I mean, I don't count one of the seasons. He was here for two, but one was good. One was bad, you know, but yeah, like Seth McClung, they love it here. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that if fans were let back in, he decides to do it just for that sentimental value. Yeah. But if everything still stays the same and we're still in these COVID type, yeah, he'd probably no, be done. I think he would be done. And you know what? It will bring the ending to a, a good career for Ryan Braun, and we won't be able to bitch about Braun anymore. The only thing we'll be able to bitch about is that the Brewers will be paying him through 2031. <laughs> uh, what a... If this truly was Braun's last game at Miller Park, and yeah, Pac fan Ryan just tweeted, and he's like, well, technically, it was every Brewer's last game at Miller Park. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But Ryan Braun specifically, if this was his last game ever in a stadium where the Brewers play, no matter what it's called, what a what a way to get just jobbed of not having the proper send-off that you can. I mean, Ryan Braun, whether you like him or not, after the whole steroid fiasco, he is a Brewers legend. He is an all-timer. And the the fact that he was his last game at Miller Park was to a bunch of cardboard cutouts is It is pretty depressing. Disgraceful for Brawny. It's sad. Ryan Braun. 14 seasons in his career with the Brewers. I mean, I know there's still more games to play, but there's eight games left, if, unless the Brewers make the playoffs and there's more. 1,959 hits, 1,153 RBIs, 1,077 runs, and 351 dingers for your Milwaukee Brewers. Ryan Braun, a legend for the Brew Crew. Uh, Rowdy, I mean, any good favorite memories from Miller Park? I mean, yeah, it'll be AmFam coming up. It won't. It, the only thing that will look different is the, you know, the logos and the, uh, you know, the signage. But anything stick out right away? Your time in Miller Park. I mean, what? one of the most recent ones that was probably got to be up there on that list has to be the NLCS game one where Brandon Woodruff takes Clayton Kershaw deep and he's rounding first base oh. with his fist in the air. That's got to be one. Yep. Um, I mean, last year, Low Kane goes not today on opening day. On uh, he lobbed, what did he rob? Jose Martinez on opening day against the Cardinals. Gives the old not today. That was, I mean, that was last year. CC Sabathia, <sighs> yeah, hitting his chest, walking off as I mean, he put the team, the team on his back for the last three months, and they they made it to the playoffs for the first time in what felt like, yep, decades. Uh, what it was about, decades? God, you go 2011. Um, Niger Morgan walking off the NLDS. T plush. That was pretty sick. Tony plush was awesome. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, Prince Fielder, didn't he win the home run derby at Miller Park in 2009? Uh, was that at Miller Park? Yeah, I think, I think Fielder uh, bested, I think it was Nelson Cruz. Sabathia had a complete game in 2008. Braun had a go-ahead home run. I mean, that goes back to CC just dominating. Uh, who could forget Miller Park? Billy Hall on Mother's Day. Anytime you had Bill Hall up to bat with that pink bat, you knew dude was dinging one out of Miller Park. God, so many, so many memories, dude. Or was that? Yeah, so many, so many memories. It's crazy. I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss calling it Miller Park, man. I'm getting a little <laughs> emotional, man. <laughs> um. So you'll still call it Amfam or uh, Miller Park and not Amfam Probably. Field? Yeah, I, I don't think Fielder won the... Was that not... 
I don't think that was Miller Park because that was when Richie Sexton competed. In oh it. yeah, I'm confusing my guys. When because that was 2002, I think. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. I'm just getting so emotional thinking about Braun, thinking about all this. Uh. Yeah, I'm kind of sad that Brawny finishes his career at Miller Park with no, nobody in the stands. That's uh, we got to do it right somehow. So, what would you sign Braun for coming up? Team friendly deal, Rowdy. I would think five or less, five or less million. Hi, kind of crazy, man. No more Miller Park, and what he. There's still baseball, though. Brewers still and the Brewers are still in it. We're still in they, it. Brewers control their own destiny. They have three against Cincinnati. That's currently in the last wild card spot. And they have five against the St. Louis Cardinals, who are technically in the second place in the NL Central. It's the, it's the two teams you'd want to play. Yeah. Now you just got to go out and win it. Zach, we also had another. I didn't really have a bone to pick with you, but I had a, a theory. And Nelson proclaims it to be true. So let me ask you. I'm looking at Zone Madison uh, on Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. as well as MadCitySportsZone.com. But on yeah. Facebook, uh, there is a beautiful article that you wrote, your two-minute drill for the Packers' 42-21 to win over the Lions, which we'll talk about coming up. But on Facebook, it says, Packers scoring 40-plus points. In Mike McCarthy's last 63 games as coach, zero. In Matt LaFleur's first 18 games as coach, Three. Boom. And my and Rowdy's theory was you wrote that head or I should say post specifically for me. Nope. So you didn't write that comparing Michael Carthy's last sixty three, which is a s- strange number, and then Matt Lafleur's last eighteen. I didn't. I was or just, first eighteen. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I was just I was going back and looking at the the forty point games, like to have back to back forty point games is just insane. It's impressive. So I thought, like, all right, so how many games? How many forty point games? When's the last time they went back to back? And the fact is that they only had two 40-point games from 2015 to 2019. And I'm like, okay, all right, so that may, that makes sense. Well, then what were the other 40-point games? One of them last year against the Raiders, and then one of them was in 2018 in overtime against the Jets. And so at no point from 2015, or actually the, the back half of 2014, to when Mike McCarthy was um, let go against after the Arizona game, did they score 40 points? Sackless Mark Murphy. Yeah. So I thought that was noteworthy that, you know, the offense that had become stale and very unproductive, despite well, despite making... And Rodgers throwing games. Uh, despite all those things, has all of a sudden started to pick back up. Despite not having the weapons, nearly the, the number of weapons that Mike McCarthy had at his disposal for much of that five years. Man, LaFleur puts up 40-plus, and Mike McCarthy puts up 40 yesterday, too. Mike McCarthy, 40-plus... For the first time since 2014, yes. I will. I will say this. I just went back and looked. Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers in their first two seasons together had three 40-point games. And now, when it comes to Lombardi trophies, what's so, Lafleur no, got? Just a second. And uh, the NFC just, North wins. Just a second. Well, my, Matt Lafleur has a much better winning percentage in the division how, than how does many, Mike McCarthy. How many does Mike have? But the NFC North won. You you want to ask the question about the first 18 games of Mike McCarthy's tenure with a Hall of Fame quarterback? Who, Brett? Zero 40-point games. Crazy. Zero. It's a different NFL did, back then. And actually didn't get a 40-point game as a head coach until 2009. All right, wake me up. When, when they had Greg Jennings and James Jones and hmm. Jermichael Finley and Jordy Nelson and Donald You are Driver. fake news, sir. Those are all. They scored 48 points against the <laughs> Detroit Lions in 08. Oh, wow. All right, so <laughs> Second when, week of the season. When LaFleur gets... 
Uh, eight NFC North titles, four NFC Championship games, a uh, Super Bowl trophy, and a street named after him. I think well, then we can start comparing apples and apples. I, I think the only th- I'm not really comparing their resumes. I'm more com- <laughs> I'm more comparing um, the fact that the offense looks sick. Matt Lafleur has brought the offense back. I'll say this: the last two years of Mike, the offense was very putrid. But I would look at a guy who was uh, buying the ingredients for the chef and Ted Thompson. A little different vibe going on right now, but let's talk about the forty-two to twenty-one win. Here's the thing: just before we do that, do you think they have better weapons now than they did in twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen? On defense, yeah. We're not talking about defense. We're talking well, about doesn't don't they play half the game? That is fine, but we're talking about offense, and you know we're talking about offense. Well, on offense, it was sick. I mean, in twenty ten, they're setting twenty eleven. Rogers is setting the all time quarterback rating. Twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. What what did they? I mean, they had some great weapons. It was awesome. It was Compared incredible. to what they have now. Like, everyone thought they have no weapons. Yeah. Well, they never had a run game like they have now, that's for sure. James Starks, Eddie Lacy, that's not a run game? Compared to what Aaron Jones have done, and you just made history. Aaron Jones is fantastic. He is, he is phenomenal. Uh, so, Zach, what was um, – I have this Twitter poll right now, and I saw you retweet it, and I should have added one of the – you can only add so many things on here. You can only have four. Yeah. It said, Rodgers, what's been the biggest surprise on the offensive side of the ball? Rodgers turning back time, going back to 2010 to watch Mike McCarthy tape, the run game, LaFleur's <laughs> play calling, other wide receivers stepping up, or I should have added the play of the offensive line because injuries has reared its ugly head. In your humble and – very noteworthy opinion. What do you think is going on with the Packers? That's the biggest surprise on the offensive side of the ball. Biggest surprise? I don't know if there's a huge surprise, but I think the offensive line, yeah, battling through injuries and still being able to put about 259 yards rushing, that's the most since they've had since 2003 uh, when uh, Amon Green had that 99-yard touchdown run against yeah. uh, Denver in the season finale back then. Like They had 261 or 262 that day. So I think the offensive line uh, certainly has been uh, a huge story. Keeping Aaron Rodgers upright for the most part, was giving one up one sack, sack right? the first yeah. two weeks, crazy. Uh, despite you know going through a turnstile of uh, at uh, different positions, and Rick Wagner has stepped up, man. I mean, having to, you know not starting, moving a guard over to take your spot, it's and then nuts. all of a sudden him jumping in there. Yeah, I think the offensive line has been uh, a, a huge story. I didn't think the wide receivers played terribly well yesterday. Yeah, like the wide they receiver, dropped. other wide receivers stepping up is winning right now. It's like leading the vote. They, My question Mar- is how? Marquez, Marquez had a good game yesterday, and, and Lazard. But you had the drops for the tight ends, right? Uh, Jay Sternberger. Jay Sternberger. A couple Aaron Rodgers has more catches two. than Jay Sternberger. Yes. Uh, Tanyan had that one early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, even MVS had the one in the end zone that probably should have been a touchdown. It was a little bit high. But, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were – I would not say the wide receivers played a great game yesterday. Mark was, though, you had flashes. You're like, oh, my God, this guy's gonna, this yeah. guy's has got the huge potential. Yeah, the one down the sideline. Especially after fantastic. getting his head bashed in. That, to me, probably is the most impressive thing about his day is the fact that he gets drilled twice. Yeah. And still comes back for that huge, <laughs> that huge, uh, that huge catch. Did down you the hear him line. talking mad smack to the rookie CB that the Okuda, Lions had? Yeah, Jeff Okuda. I love that you could hear all this stuff. Like first, carry on Johnson was like all effing game, all effing game, <laughs> and then I don't know what happened there, but not all because it was game. only just the effing first quarter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that you can hear like Marquez chirping. Yeah, uh, Mar- the rook was pretty funny. Marquez said that last week. He said he's that's the Florida in me. Yeah. That's awesome. It is. How about how about the defense though? I saw in your two minute drill you gave the game ball to one of Nelly's favorite players, Rashawn Gary, having quite the first two weeks. Right, six tackles, uh, one and a half sacks, bunch of pressures. He didn't. Well, they didn't show up in the stat sheet, but that uh, the pressure, the, the pressure on the pick six uh, that that Shannon Sullivan got, Rashawn Gary had a huge part in that. What? I was just waiting. I was just waiting for you to talk about him just destroying a double team. He did destroy the double team. 
split it. Did the did the wait? Did a little, I just a little spin. What? <laughs> what? You're getting you, you're getting you're getting. I, I'm assuming you have something to refute his his good start. No, I was just my thing with the double team that everyone was going gaga about was they both looked at each other expecting the other one to block them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what but I, I would say. There. What's Rashawn supposed to do? Lay down? He, he. It's not that they didn't touch him. He, he, sp- made, he made a good play. It's a spin. He's a good play. Even if no one still a good play. Still got it done. Either way, no matter what, you can't say that he hasn't taken a significant step. No, last he looks year. way better than where he was last year. Yeah, he looks great. And that's. I think that's all. I think any of us can really say about it, right? Like it's only two games. Exactly. It's, it's. I'm not saying that he's, you know, the greatest thing ever. It's just he's made significant steps, and I think you have to at least. You're starting to justify that 12th. Pick. You have to at least acknowledge that. No, I said earlier today. I go. I was more impressed with his half a sack than his sack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the, the half a sack was more impressive, you know, making the move on the tackle and meeting Preston Smith in the middle for the half a sack than the two guys kind of whiffed and he had the free lane to the quarterback. Right, and, and the, the pressure too. I mean, it's not like he beat anybody on the pressure to, to, get, <laughs> to get in Matt Stafford's face, but he got him at, a lot of guys are crashing down and, and not really paying attention to that. I had two people message me on Facebook yesterday when Rashawn Gary made a couple plays, and uh, it was just out of nowhere. One named Adam, who's a listener. Hey, Adam, what's up? He's listening right now because he sent me some laughing, crying emojis. And another guy named Chad who listens in the 6 to 7 o'clock hour, and they both asked me the same thing, just a little different you know, verbiage. It was, do you think Nelson has smashed his TV watching Rashawn Gary? <laughs> I'm, I kid you not. And I had to, I asked Nelly, and Nelly goes, no, 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 no. The only was, thing that upset me was the bets. Uh, yeah, a couple of the bets. I haven't accidentally smashed a TV since Wisconsin lost to Iowa. Uh, was that when Stave's foot got stepped on? No, this was like pre-2010s. I think it was they lost in 2008. They lost in 2009. By the way, we're going to talk Wisconsin coming up. Can you stick around? Yeah, right, cool. I'd have to go back and look. Just like a, a late, a late mess okay. up or what? Did you when you smashed the TV? Did you feel bad? Yeah, because I wasn't <laughs> trying to. I was trying to smash my phone iPod Touch. Yeah, were, were you drunk? Wait. No, dude, I was like in middle school. Oh, yeah, but were you drunk? I <laughs> no, I drank at Mike's Hard Lemonade when I was in sixth grade. I felt like I was buzzed. It turns out I was just a gut rot. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first alcoholic beverage ever. Like, I'll have ooh, to go back and Mike's find what lemonade. game that was. Nice. Yeah, was, I don't think I've ever had one. It's don't don't bother. Wait, it's wait, actually, gut rot. It was the season where I think they were undefeated. Then I had a rusty Miller. Oh, and like, then they lost, was it three straight? That's two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah. Two thousand four. They lost to Michigan State and they lost to Iowa. And then they lost to the right, I'm gonna talk Wisconsin Michigan. coming up, but that's <laughs> sorry. That's okay. I mean I tried, I had to ask Nelson why he smashed the TV. I've never personally And then smashed. I desperately needed to know which game it was. I've never and smashed the TV. It happened to be the game against Iowa, and then it was me smashing the iPod, but it hit like this oh, on the bounced. floor and popped up and hit the TV. Ooh. Dad was not happy. Yeah, Dad probably spanked you and sent you to your room. All right, Zach, really quick uh, on the Packers. Uh, I should say in the NFC North as a whole, the Minnesota Vikings are god-awful. Trash. Trash, wow. trash, trash. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for uh, extending Kurt Cousins, Minnesota. That was beautiful. And and Mike Zimmer and yeah. Rick Spielman. I think all you got to say, you don't even really say anything besides they're just terrible. Did you they see funny. some of the Viking fans on Twitter talking about how they should tank for Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I've already seen <laughs> I've already seen pictures of Trevor Lawrence in a Vikings jersey. That's hilarious. But they're going to have to fight off the Lions because the Lions are terrible as well. I think the Lions are actually better than the Vikings watching Well, they them. get to play each other twice, so we'll get to see. And um, the Chicago Bears are 2-0, but I think they're the worst 2-0 team they, they don't ask how, they just ask how many, but my God, they're bad. A drop pass and 
very lucky that Saquon uh, got hurt. So, yeah, I mean they they are they should be zero and two, but they're two and zero, and that's fine. They're yeah. in first place in the Big Ten, or actually the Big Ten. They're, they're first place in the NFC North, and I I, I don't think anybody in their power rank is going to put the no. uh, the Chicago Bears in the top ten. I hope Wisconsin doesn't take. Illinois too lightly to open up their season because the new schedule's out and Wisconsin gets a little and in your article a little a little taste for revenge a little revenge to go I don't I I think they're gonna be locked in uh, within minutes of uh, the schedule being announced that a bunch of guys were sending out pictures of the uh, beat Illinois clock inside the locker room so uh, they, they, if if they needed any motivation if they needed anything to get locked in I think that. Uh, idea that Illinois is going to be first on on the schedule is going to lock it in. And that's October 24th is when they take on Illinois at the camp. And then week week two is interesting to me because I want to get your vibe on this team as well. So uh, week two, they travel to Lincoln to take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers October 31st. The Cryhuskers, more like it. (laughs) Yes, the Wine Huskers, the Cryhuskers. Is there a team in all of college football no, that winds <laughs> that winds more than Nebraska. No, it's it's not. And and look, there's there were a number of different ways to go about trying to get the football season back on. They took one to they took one going public and slamming the Big Ten. Uh, they were the first ones to do it. Um, their administration, like for me personally, I have no problem with the the players fighting back. I have no player you know publicly, mm-hmm. uh, you know suing it. That's fine. The player the the players' parents going after it. That's fine. But I I personally think administration, coaches, that type of stuff should try and do things behind closed doors. Like, that. that is where I think they should be fighting. You think Barry Alvarez and you think Paul Chris didn't want to play football as badly as Nebraska did? Of right. course they did. And they fought like hell behind the scenes to make it happen. And just because they didn't go out in public like Ohio State did and, and uh, Nebraska did doesn't mean that they didn't care. But either way, uh, what we saw from... God, they're whiners. What we saw from uh, Nebraska... Well, I, want to read the, I want to read the quote here from Bill Moose talking about... Their schedule. Their schedule. They open at Ohio State. They face Wisconsin. They go to two Northwestern, and they are at Penn or at home against Penn State. Yeah, that's their first four games. Everyone's saying the Big Ten is sticking it to them. Well, all those games are already on their schedule, <laughs> right? They drop. They did drop Rutgers as their crossover game, which you know kind of hurts, obviously. But yep. Penn State and Ohio State were already on their schedule. The Wisconsin game was supposed to be in Madison, and in but it's it's instead it's it's over there. But this was his quote. This was Bill Moose, the offensive uh, coordinator, or excuse me, the uh, offensive coordinator, the athletic director, saying, "I've got a good football team with a great football coach that deserves a break here or there to start getting back on track to being a contender in the Big Ten. Stop. You deserve a break to, to to be able to get back on track. What really? What stop? Why stop? That and doesn't I make th- any sense. I think great coach is a hell I, of a stretch when the guy's got one winning record as a head coach. That was my pause there. Great football coach, and I was going to say something like, "Eh, I don't know about that." And good, uh, I don't know about that either. One of the reporters, Steve Sipple, says clearly the Big Ten intentionally threw down the hammer on Nebraska. That's not the local columnist whining. It's a question of fairness. Ohio State and Penn State. There's no balance in that equation. Shut up. Someone, Correct someone, me if I'm wrong, but doesn't everyone in the East have to play Ohio State and Penn State? Everyone in the East does, yes. Huh. Man. I don't hear anyone else bitching. Right. I mean, Wisconsin lost out on, on uh, who they lost on. They lost out on Rutgers and Maryland. Yeah. They were supposed to be on the schedule in the 10-game game season. They lost out on both those guys. They get Minnesota, excuse me, Michigan and Indiana instead. I I mean, I... I, uh, idiots. I think that's such a, such a weak comment. It's I think very weak. Well, we so just weak. brought up the 2016 Wisconsin schedule where yeah. they played... A gauntlet that year. Yes, they did. They opened at Michigan State, then at Michigan, and then home to Ohio State. 
That was their that was their first three. And then games. you could even go further, wasn't it? At I, Iowa, yep. then Northwestern. I think it was at Northwestern, and Listen, then Nebraska. If you want to be, I mean, Nebraska's got a lot of prestige, right? I mean, mm. from their history. If you want to yes, be when back, they were relevant twenty years. If ago. you want to be back to being a relevant, you know, a team that everyone looks at. Don't you want the target on your back? Don't you want to be playing those big time teams? But they deserve a break, Ebo, so they can get back on track. Well, we want to. You cancel football. We want to play. And yeah. then the schedule comes out. Oh, but we don't want to play them. How long ago was Nebraska relevant? Well, the last time they were relevant, Amon Green was playing for them. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. Amon Green is 44. in his 40s. Amon Green has been retired from NFL football for a decade. All right, so <laughs> enough about yeah. Nebraska's the Wine Huskers or yes. the Cry Huskers. Either way. Wisconsin uh, schedule. Illinois yep. nope, at Nebraska yep. against Purdue at Michigan at Northwestern versus Minnesota. I think that week four, five, six is the tough stretch. Uh, then week seven versus Indiana at the camp, and then week eight you finish at Iowa. I think Wisconsin's got a very, very good uh, opportunity here to go undefeated. I think the game in Michigan is, is still the one that you look to and be like, I don't know about that. And the it's, I think the Minnes- Go ahead. Well, Rowdy said, and I agree with him as well, the Minnesota game as well at Camp Randall. And that's fine, but I think the, the Michigan game is the tougher of the two games, yeah. in my opinion. Well, but you could very well be playing for the I mean, you could very well be playing for the Big Ten West title on in Week 6 there. And then, obviously, Week 8, too, at Iowa. And the thing is, no fans at any of these games. It's been, yeah, it's al- been it's al- bad for the Big House. It's already been decided mm-hmm. that it's, there's going to be no fans at any of these games. So how much, how much is the home venue... Uh, a fate, you know, not, not is, much. It's, it's not, just it's travel. Not, it's not nearly as, as uh, valuable as it would be. You know, the game at Michigan or the game at Nebraska. I would love to be at the big house just to be like one off one fly on the wall to hear a, fo- a live football game with no fans in the stands just to see what it's like. That's going to be crazy. It'd be, it's creepy and eerie. And, and obviously, there's going to be, I think they're going to have what? Fa- uh, players' families are yeah, going to be allowed yeah, in. Yeah, the families are allowed in. Yeah. So the, the, there will be a little bit of noise there, but yeah, I mean it's it's going to be so awkward. But we've seen it already. We've seen it already in the NFL. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Well, we didn't see it at Jerry's World. I think that's the most full stadium you'll see in the whole season. What they have? Can, the, they have twenty five percent, maybe. Was it? I Can, think like the Chiefs had twenty two percent, and someone else had like eighteen percent. Yeah. But it's so well, like the Louisville game. Did you see the Louisville game on Saturday? Uh, was there anyone? There was a ton of people there. Well, yeah, and, like, and all I like, said one was all, and all like, like sitting like on top of each other. Yeah, it's other. all vertical. It's like, well, you know, for a fact, when you're at the grocery store and you're in line, they say six feet apart, right? But front to back, vertically, there's no six feet. No. COVID nineteen well, does not travel vertically. It's science, allegedly. It's really Just weird like watching all those college games, and you see decently packed stadiums. Not obviously a hundred percent full capacity, but a fair amount of, of fans there. And then you look at the NFL, and they're still not having really any fans in some stadiums. Uh, Zach, most, most stadiums, actually. And I, I it's going to be a huge benefit for Green Bay come uh, Sunday night when they go down to New Orleans. Real quick sure. before I let you go, uh, on Twitch here, at twitch.tv, search my name, Ebo says, hit that follow button, you can interact that way. I've been uh, having an interaction almost all show with G-Dub, and G-Dub is not a believer in Joel Stave. Oh, what? And the the all-time winningest quarterback in Wisconsin history? That's what not I told a, him. Not a believer? I said he's the all-time winningest, and he's losing his mind over it. And he says, Ebo, on a scale from 1 to 10, how good is Joel Stave? 10 being a good, I wrote 12. Oh, and I totally agree with you on that. That He is the all-time winningest quarterback. Won a bowl game, his final game. It was a great late second drive or last second drive. The man just won. I mean, I, you can say whatever you want about him. 
Who's a winner? If you don't have Joel Stave's arm handing off that ball, I don't think they're winning the games. Not a chance. Not nope. a chance. Nope. Not- 12 out of 10. All time winningest. And if only he didn't have a foot in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, no, that's, well, that's not his fault. He got stepped on. Yeah, I mean, uh, who stepped on him? It would be the guard, the big guard. Um, Oh, the big guard oh, Mike, on the Mike, offensive Mike, Mike line Mike for Kapoor. Wisconsin. No, no, no like a, a bigger, a bigger guard than the normal. Like Michael Kapoy was like 335 pounds. Yeah, he stepped on Stav. It wasn't Stav's fault. Cole Van Landen's like 310. He's he's small <laughs> compared to to other guys.